and convene the special Marin County Board of Supervisors meeting uh, related to the uh, FY 21-22 budget planning period. Roll call, please, for the special meeting. Supervisor Connolly. Supervisor Rice. Here. Supervisor Moulton-Peters. Here. Supervisor Arnold. Here. Supervisor Rodoni. Uh, here, can you hear me? Mm -hmm. I, just, I just lost my screen for a minute. So we're gonna go on to the first item of the 130 session, which is the homeless response and prevention uh, presentation. There we go. I'm back. <laughs> Um, I go ahead, Matthew, would you take over and uh, introduce sure. this subject? Sure. So this is a continuation of our cross-departmental high-priority items and reporting out on our informational budget workshop. And I think I'll turn it, Benita, are you kicking us off here for the gonna, homeless, and homeless prevention? We're going to open up... Um, this afternoon and our chief operating officer, Ken Shapiro, is gonna be leading this presentation from the beginning. So I'll turn it over to uh, Mr. Shapiro. Okay, and Ken, are you gonna share the screen, the, the PowerPoint or do you want Al to run that for you? Uh, it'd be great if Al can, if not, I'm, I'm able to take it over. I think he can, so. Okay, thank you. Al, are you able to do that? Yes, loading. Thank okay. you. Um, and I'll be, I'll do the first few slides and then I'll um, pass it over to Ashley Hart McIntyre, our homeless policy analyst here in the Department of Health and Human Services. And I just wanna say good afternoon to President Rodoni, uh, the other supervisors and uh, the members of the public. Uh, next slide, please. So we're no strangers to the board. We come to you often and we talk about the principle of housing first. So I thought it would be wise to just pause and provide a very high level definition of this principle that drives all of our work and decision-making in health and human services as we address chronic homelessness. Housing first, simply, is the principle that the solution to homelessness is housing. It's that simple. For decades in this county, just like in the rest of the state and the country, we did not apply this principle to our efforts. And the situation we have today is in part a result of the past focus on what, what's called housing readiness. That's, a, that's an approach which forces people to prove they're ready for housing by completing programs first. This is a recipe to perpetuate long-term chronic homelessness for our most vulnerable re residents. Keeping a schedule, remaining highly organized, Maintaining sobriety or a medical regimen are very difficult tasks. If you have no home, never get a good night's sleep, you must expend your psychic and physical energy on core survival. The elements at the base of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Next slide, please. In 2015, this board decided to make a bold shift to a more humane, sensible, and evidence-based approach that focuses on lowering barriers embracing harm reduction, and applying the social work principle of meeting clients where they're at. Housing First is now increasingly embraced by our state and federal funders, and Marin has achieved a lot of success with this shift, though we still have a long way to go. 
We include the definition of chronic homelessness here because we use housing first with residents who are and have been experiencing chronic homelessness in some cases for a decade or more. Next slide, please. And there are many reasons we focus on addressing chronic homelessness. First and foremost, we want to apply our limited resources to those who need it most. 70 to 80% of people who become homeless self-resolve their homelessness within two weeks and do not become homeless again. We therefore make our first priority those who cannot resolve their homelessness on their own. There are a lot of similarities with the brutally difficult decisions we've been making as a community during COVID. This prioritization of resources ultimately reduces mortality. It saves lives. People who are chronically homeless die 25 years earlier than the general population. It also costs public systems less money overall to house someone than it does for them to remain homeless. Next slide, please. And Housing First works. It's very important for us to stay the course. The county service providers have rallied around the approach and the entire system of care has shifted to focus on the Housing First approach. Just for illustration, in 2015, our system in Marin had 193 units or homes of permanent supportive housing. In January of 2020, we were up to 514 units and we've added an additional 75 through the use of federal mainstream vouchers in 2020. As a, re as a result, today we're up to 589 permanent supportive housing units. That's from 193 to 589 in six years a massive scaling up of permanent supportive housing in this county. That's the reason we believe we've been so successful decreasing chronic homelessness. I'll pass it on to Ashley to explain in more detail exactly how this entire approach works. Hello, supervisors, county administrator and members of the public. Thank you for hearing us today. So what does uh, housing first look like in practice? The uh, central um, example that we use is that of a three-legged stool. If any one of these three legs is missing, then the stool won't stand up. Those three legs are new housing, vouchers, and services. We need to have enough new housing stock available in order to be able to uh, place folks in housing to end their homelessness, uh, in order to be able to use vouchers that are available. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Next slide, please. Uh, and then uh, we need to have the services necessary to support people who are placed in those new units. Uh, for when we're working with folks who are chronically homeless, as uh, Ken discussed, they have uh, long histories of homelessness and a disability uh, and often require fairly intensive support in, in order to be able to stay stable in housing. So it's not just the housing, uh, we also require the appropriate services for folks that we're placing. Next slide, please. So what that looks like in practice, uh, you, you might imagine you have a lot of folks who are experiencing homelessness and then you create a lot of housing and what ensues is chaos. Not in reality, because we have a, something called a coordinated entry system. Without coordinated entry, few people who are the most in need for housing are able to access it. The system is complicated, difficult to navigate, uh, and doesn't result in the most vulnerable folks having access to these scarce resources. With coordinated entry, we work with the principles of client choice uh, to help people uh, find the placement that's best assisted to them. 
uh, are best, most appropriate for them. We assist them in accessing that unit. Uh, and everyone is assessed based on a neutral uh, set of criteria and people are prioritized by vulnerability, much as they would be in a hospital emergency department or on a, um, a donor, a transplant uh, donor list. And this is the system that we've used uh, since October 2017. Go ahead with the next slide, please. To house 320 people who are experiencing chronic homelessness here in Marin. We feared at the beginning of the pandemic that pandemic conditions would result in a reduction uh, in, the, uh, in our success uh, at addressing chronic homelessness. We found the opposite. We have actually increased the rate at which we're able to place people in permanent supportive housing by 46% since the beginning of the pandemic in March of 2020. Part of that is due to, no small part of that is due to a fantastic partnership we have with the Marin Housing Authority. It's a model partnership to uh, distribute Section 811 vouchers, which are special Section 8 vouchers limited to people who are non-seniors but with disabilities that we apply for competitively uh, and to receive from the federal government. Uh, we, part of the competition to receive those vouchers is how well you've been able to utilize past allocations of vouchers. And uh, uh, Marin County has been one of the most successful in the nation at utilizing these vouchers and being able to secure more. Um, a, a couple of months ago, we uh, recently just received an additional 75 uh, Section 811 vouchers uh, in partnership with the Housing Authority to use through coordinated entry for folks experiencing chronic homelessness. We also really uh, we reinvented our entire system of care. Coordinated entry is a reinvention in and of itself, but we also created a collaborative um, placement sessions. Uh, we have done a collaborative intensive case conferencing of high needs clients to identify uh, particular client needs and find solutions for each client individually. We have supported our entire community in adopting housing first, in placing people very intentionally in uh, permanent housing placements, uh, and in implementing harm reduction, uh, which is an evidence-based principle that doesn't require people to uh, give up uh, what are conventionally seen as uh, harmful activities uh, in order to receive housing. What we do is we work with people uh, to place them in housing and then uh, reduce reliance on those activities. We also removed silos. So previously uh, to 2016, we were uh, operating independently of one another um, and uh, uh, people were possibly receiving case management from multiple agencies that weren't working with one another. And we've eliminated that uh, through, uh, in no small part, through whole person care and the data sharing uh, that whole person care has made possible uh, with the release of information. Uh, we're able to case conference our high needs clients uh, freely with uh, a wide variety of appropriate partners. And we are partnering on funding applications in a way that we uh, never have before, which has been very successful for us. We've also implemented a housing locator to help people who have vouchers locate housing. Previously to implementing the housing locator, folks with Section 8 vouchers would often have a voucher expire before they could find a unit. And with the implementation of the housing locator, which is partially funded by your board, we've really eliminated that problem. We've also supplemented our outreach, which has been particularly important during COVID-19. Next slide, please. So the impact of the pandemic on homelessness 
uh, we've certainly had uh, quite a lot of increased visibility of homelessness. Um, the encampments in several communities in Marin are very visible, uh, but it's important to note that these highly visible encampments do not represent uh, an increase in homelessness. And we found that uh, more than 90% of the people living in those encampments were homeless in Marin before COVID-19. Uh, but uh, for a number of circumstances, including CDC guidance preventing the breaking up of encampment and also people seeking a sense of community uh, during isolation has resulted in increased encampment activity. We have had to reduce shelter capacity in congregate shelters uh, slightly uh, to allow for physical distancing for COVID-19 safety. However, we have uh, added additional uh, shelter beds through uh, Project Room Key and then also uh, interim housing through the Casa Buena, which is a home key project approved by your board last fall. Anecdotally, we are seeing um, at, at the provider level an increase in people asking for help. We did not conduct a full point in time homeless census in January 2021 as scheduled because we could not implement the, um, the, the counting protocols with uh, COVID-19 safety in mind. So we applied for and received a waiver as most other California communities. Uh, instead, we did a vehicle count uh, at the end of February, and we expect results by the end of this month. Um, vehicles are the most likely place that folks who are newly homeless will stay. Uh, so it's, a, it's our best measurement of new homelessness is a vehicle count. And we'll report back to your board when we have that data. This data. Additionally, we've added uh, two new outreach teams of two people apiece, uh, including bilingual Spanish speakers. And, and those teams will gather data on the folks that they serve and report back. And next slide, please. So I did mention briefly um, that we had added, added some beds for uh, through Project Room Key, uh, which we operated through March, March through October of 2020. We had exited 45 people that we served to permanent housing from that program. Uh, that is a FEMA-sponsored non-congregate shelter in motel rooms. We are relaunching uh, Project Room Key 2.0 uh, in the next uh, week or 10 days, uh, which will be 40 non-congregate beds for the folks who are most vulnerable during the pandemic. Uh, all people who participate in Project Room Key have to meet certain FEMA eligibility criteria, including uh, being either over 65 years of age, 65 years of age or over, or having certain underlying medical criteria, um, such as uh, Down syndrome or heart disease or uh, diabetes or a wide variety of things identified by the CDC. Additionally, uh, the new CARES Act funding has allowed us to provide um, significant amounts of rental assistance to people seeking assistance uh, and eviction prevention. Um, we have, I mentioned the new outreach teams that we've added, those are funded through the Emergency Solutions Grants Coronavirus Program, uh, which we received several million dollars for and have allocated recently. Uh, so it's not just outreach, but also to rapid rehousing, which is short-term rental assistance paired with case management. And we've received uh, about 100 new Section 811 vouchers as well uh, during the course of the pandemic. And then finally, all folks who are experiencing homelessness are eligible for a COVID-19 vaccination as of March 15, 2021. And I'm gonna turn it over to my colleague, Lily Thomas from the Community Development Agency to talk about our rental assistance program. Good afternoon, board members. Lily Thomas with the uh, Community Development Agency. And uh, early on, rental assistance for residents 
uh, whose livelihood has been impacted by the coronavirus was identified as a critical need in Marin. On March 24th, 2020, your board, together with our partner, the Marin Community Foundation, allocated funds for rental assistance um, in recognition of the impact on renters, especially those with extremely low incomes. The intent was to prevent homelessness and provide stabi stability, and were done in conjunction with other actions your board took to prevent evictions. In April of 2020, additional funds from both the county and the Marine Community Foundation were allocated, as well as funds through the CARES Act that had come through the Community Development Block Grant Program. And the county contracted originally with local community-based organizations who have given out over $4 million in rental assistance since the beginning of the pandemic. Next slide, please. Um, and although the county took early incisive action, the federal and state governments have subsequently identified rental assistance for low-income renters as a serious need. Um, um, and have allocated significant funds to stabilize both renters and uh, um, landlords. Marin is set to receive over $15 million in federal funds and we anticipate more from the American Rescue Plan. The structure of the new program has changed um, and we now have hired two full-time coordinators to run the program. They're current Health and Human Services employees. We have staff from local community-based organizations who are bilingual and bicultural. And a team of disaster service workers will continue to operate a phone line and triage applicants who need additional assistance with the online application. Um, next slide, please. And this program has been and will continue to be a true collaboration between many stakeholders working together to serve members of our community in need who've been impacted by the pandemic. For example, at the beginning of the pandemic, Health and Human Services led the response in distributing the rental assistance. And that responsibility has subsequently shifted to the Community Development Agency. And staff from the county, the city of San Rafael, and our partners at the community-based organizations have participated and supported this program. A major highlight is the partnership between tenants and landlords who are working together and with us to make this a successful effort. We encourage all Marin renters and landlords who have unpaid back rent to apply online. And we will continue, this program will continue to focus on serving the most vulnerable members of our community, regardless of immigration status, especially those most disproportionately impacted by the pandemic, many of whom are people of color. Next slides, please, and then I'll turn it back to Benita. Um, thank you, Lily, and thank you, Ashley and Ken. Um, I'm going to finish up with just a, uh, a few uh, remaining words. I do want to just reinforce what we talked about even yesterday, that Health and Human Services and our county partners have a strong commitment to uh, supporting our safety net, um, as I mentioned yesterday. And our most vulnerable residents here in Marin deserve uh, the best, highest quality uh, support and care. And we're committed to continue uh, being innovative and creative 
and trying to solve some of the challenges that our safety net um, residents uh, face. Uh, one of the things, a couple of things that are coming uh, that are, are currently in place and that we're looking forward to. Um, as, as your board knows, uh, 1591 Casa Buena in Corta Madera was uh, purchased as a property that was purchased by the county in uh, late um, 2020 as part in early 2021 as part of the Home Key uh, 1.0 project. And it's currently serving as interim housing with our plan to convert it to 19 permanent units by the end of this year. At 3301 Kerner, an, another site that was purchased uh, in collaboration with the city of San Rafael um, through the home key uh, funds, it's currently also serving as a shelter uh, in lieu of our Mill Street uh, shelter until those renovations at Mill Street are completed with the plan to convert this site into 41 permanent units uh, in 2022 or after the construction of Mill Street is completed. And then finally, we're also looking at a location uh, as mentioned on Mill Street, the Mill Street uh, location uh, will add 32 new uh, units um, with the goal of mid 2022 being the date. Next slide, please. We're also looking at, again, uh, new opportunities. Um, we have heard through the state that there's a potential, uh, very strong potential for a new project round of uh, Project Home Key uh, to come available. And we, our goal is to apply for this program, um, but we wanna make sure in this round too that we provide as much transparent communication as possible throughout the community. We're looking for uh, partnerships with, um, with our local, local municipalities for local match. We're also looking for collaboration with our local uh, municipalities around uh, this kind of project and potential regional opportunities. We are looking, we have to have also a willing nonprofit organization that's willing to run the project if it is uh, purchased. And we have to recognize that we cannot locate a site uh, for home key that is in an area of concentrated uh, poverty as designated uh, by the state and federal government. And it must, the project, if we were to pursue another home key, we must make sure that it is a large enough site that it can pencil out. And that means that um, we can bring in enough sustained funding to make sure that there is permanent uh, support uh, for the long-term for the project. Um, as your board knows, Home Key pays for the facility itself, but it doesn't pay an, uh, for long-term support of a permanent supportive housing um, or unit. And then of course we need uh, project management support for uh, a new home key project to be uh, successful. With all that said, we are hopeful um, that a new home key project can be uh, either one or more home key projects can be started here in Marin, additional projects. We've seen the success of our current projects uh, that I mentioned in Corta Madera and in San Rafael. 
And we're also um, optimistic about other opportunities in Marin to bring more housing uh, for our most vulnerable residents, including more low-income housing and more uh, other opportunities, um, partnering with cities, with nonprofits, with individuals, with businesses to bring more houses, housing into Marin. Next slide, please. And I just wanna say on behalf of our homeless team and everyone in Health and Human Services and uh, CDC and all our county um, partners, uh, we wanna say thank you for your ongoing support. Uh, this work is uh, really, really uh, important, uh, not easy, but really, really important. Um, and we're committed to continue it. Thank you. Thank you, Benita and Ken and Lily. Uh, sorry, I had some computer difficulties. I was offline for a while, but I want to turn it over to the board for questions. Supervisor Rice. Must have been that jackhammering happening right outside that messed you up, Dennis. Um, uh, Ashley and, and Ken and Lindley, thank you um, for being here. And um, you're kind of the tip of the iceberg, uh, not a huge iceberg, but we know there's other people that work with you um, and across the county in the cities and towns, and you've all done spectacular work. I have a question, a couple of questions. So you mentioned the 100 new Section 811 vouchers, and I'm wondering, are those part of the um, five billion in housing choice vouchers that Dan Eilerman mentioned that are maybe coming through the um, American Rescue Plan that are good through 2030. Or are they something different? Those hundred vouchers are um, predate the American Rescue Act. We received an allocation of, I believe, 25 in April or May of 2020, uh, and we received uh, which was a non-competitive allocation. And then we received another 75 vouchers competitively last fall. And do they have a timeline on them? Uh, they don't have a timeline, I believe, but we damage our ability to uh, obtain more vouchers if we don't use them quickly enough. Okay. Which is uh, one of the reasons we've been the most su successful community in the country at, at uh, securing more vouchers because we've been very, very good at using them through coordinated entry. All right, so then my question related to those vouchers that we've gotten and, and expansion um, generally in terms of our voucher pool, thanks very much to Marin Housing Authority as well. How, what, um, what, where is the funding coming from to marry up those vouchers with the service leg of the stool? And I know um, Whole Person Care is a little piece of that, but could you speak more to the service side of the three-legged stool and the challenges going forward and then um, tagged onto that a question, is there such a thing as a service voucher? That's an interesting concept. Uh, so Benita and Ken, please do chime in on the services question. Um, most of the vouchers are being supported by support services through either our whole person care uh, funding, um, which is uh, the largest batch of which is going to the Ritter Center. Um, but uh, other folks are supported through uh, whole person care style services at um, Homeward Bound, at Downtown Streets team, uh, through a variety of our community partners, um, or uh, St. Vincent de Paul. 
and uh, also behavioral health and recovery services clients also uh, are uh, receiving uh, vouchers. Those services also provide the support services part. Uh, with the exception of the behavioral health and recovery services uh, clients, we do have a little bit of a struggle uh, with service availability. As you know, uh, whole person care was time limited. Uh, it was intended to sunset at the end of 2020. We did get an extension for one year uh, and we have uh, secured some one-time funding from the state through a couple of different funding streams that we've been able to sort of patchwork quilt together to uh, provide an off-ramp for those whole person care services through mid-2023. However, in permanent supportive housing, it is permanent. The housing is meant to be permanent as are the services. Uh, and so uh, we are uh, working on identifying a funding stream for services uh, after mid-2023 for those clients. Um, but uh, given that most, uh, most of the funding that we can use for services that's not behavioral health focused is from the state and the state has repeatedly offered us only uh, one-time grants um, that's proving to be very, very difficult. Ken and Benita, would you add to that? Yeah, the, I think the one thing I'd add just to understand the full policy landscape is that in the, in the eyes of the state, the sunsetting of whole person care is meant to have a, a sunrise of enhanced care management in, in lieu of services, which be the future of Medi-Cal in California. There's an option for managed care plans in California to offer whole person care-like case management, including housing support services. Those are under the in lieu of services and it's optional for um, a managed care plan like partnership health plan to decide whether they offer that as a, a benefit or not. So that's a huge unknown for us at this point. And until rates are published, um, partnership health plan can't make a business decision about whether they'll offer those supports or not. If they do, then we, we have uh, a bit of light where maybe we can look at many of these individuals who we've been serving and are providing a permanent supportive housing with the support services through whole person care to get some of those supports through through managed care, through Medi-Cal. Um, and if they don't, then um, as Ashley said, we really have, we've managed um, pretty miraculously to build enough railroad track to get us to the middle of 2023, but we'll really have to be looking at other options for how we continue to permanently support those individuals in those units. I want to note that uh, what we've just discussed is, is only for continuing the services that we're providing to current clients. There are many folks out there who don't have support services and we are increasing our voucher pool uh, through our partnership with um, Marin Housing Authority and we are uh, coming up against a wall where we don't have identified services to support those vouchers. I should also note that the services that we're able to offer are not intensive enough for some of the clients that we are seeking to serve. Um, we are in 2022 opening in partnership with Homer Bound and Marin, a uh, 32 bed permanent supportive housing program at the New Mill Street location, half of which will be dedicated to behavioral health and recovery services clients and provided with on-site behavioral health support there. That'll be a, a project-based facility with on-site intensive services, and it'll be the first of its kind in Marin. We need more um, services like that uh, in this community and not just for folks who uh, meet the behavioral health and recovery services criteria. There are many folks who are experiencing homelessness who have dementia, who have um, a psychosis induced by substance use and who may not be eligible for behavioral health um, for those particular kinds of, of full service partnership services. 
Uh, and we, um, there are also others who would be able to be successful in scattered site housing with more intensive uh, wraparound services than we're able to offer through the current whole person care model. Okay, well, it, I'm just, I'm thinking that it, well, it's been amazing actually how you all have been able to cobble together uh, the puzzle that you're dealing with both with regards to housing and also the service side and, and those funding streams. But I am, I, I have been concerned with the home key and the project room key um, offerings that the state is making, that it doesn't have that, you know, you create the housing without any ongoing support. And if the solution is permanent supportive housing, um, and if you've embraced a housing first model, then um, we're, missing, we're missing part of the equation that's pretty critical going forward. So I guess my last question is sort of a hypothetical, um, uh, given the, the, the money that will be coming to the county and to the cities uh, through the rescue plan and, and the fact that uh, some of it does have a, a longer um, spending uh, horizon over four years, um, I'm, I'm just hoping you all are giving a lot of thought and looking um, at the lands, future near-term landscape as to the potential for a more permanent source of service on the service side. And should we be thinking about putting aside some of our one-time monies that can be um, used to support homelessness uh, towards a voucher pool of sorts for services to fill in the gaps um, uh, that aren't being met by the Project Home Key and Room Key? Anyway, hypothetical question, don't need to answer it now. May I offer one, one quick note? Um, in Benita's comments, she mentioned one of the things that we're looking at in a potential home key uh, 2.0 property is that it would be, have to be large enough to pencil out. Part of that may include being large enough for there to be enough vouchers at that site to actually support the services cost. So that's how uh, in some of the larger cities, um, how services are, are funded. Uh, and if we had a site that was large enough, we, we would be able to solve that problem. So that comes with other issues. Um. Any other questions? Supervisor Moulton Peters. Dennis, I don't know if you can see me. Yeah, I d I d uh, Damon was before me, Dennis. Go ahead, Damon. Sorry, Damon, go ahead. Oh, that's okay. No, uh, and really just uh, following up on some of Katie's inquiries, but first just, you know, acknowledging our, our systems have never been tested like they have during this crisis. And, and I just want to commend all of you. You've met the challenge uh, throughout. And uh, I think there's a lot to be uh, proud of, a lot to build on uh, as we go forward. So, um, and that is really focused on uh, protecting our most vulnerable. On Project Home Key, which I think we're all excited in terms of potentially being a cornerstone uh, as part of a the housing first model along with strategic use of vouchers. Um, an essential component, as was noted by Katie, is a provision of services and oversight of operations uh, to ensure a smooth process at each location. And obviously working with uh, community partners, the neighborhood uh, and the like. So can you provide an overall sense of the operation? I think the, the presentation provided a good outline, but maybe uh, some more detail on the population being served and, and how the services are delivered and how we 
uh, see those services as being sustainable uh, going forward. Sure. Um, you're speaking for the Hunky 1.0 sites that we acquired last autumn, correct? correct? Yeah. Sure. So we have we acquired two sites, um, and for the the Casablina, which is the the site in Corte Madera. Uh, right now, that project is operating as interim housing, uh, and that is funded um, primarily. There's a, a, a grant from the state uh, to do some of the short-term operations there, um, and then uh, the rest of the funding is coming from the Emergency Solutions Grants Coronavirus Program. Uh, and then as that, but that's short-term. So uh, when the interim housing um, function at that site ceases and we transition to permanent supportive housing, uh, the way that budget will work, um, they'll, they will project-based vouchers, Section 811 vouchers from the Housing Authority there, um, 18 or 19 vouchers. Uh, but even with um, vouchers in every unit, there's about an $85,000, about $85,000 in year one, and it increases year after year, uh, gap uh, for funding the operations and the on-site services. And the, the services mix that we're proposing there is not as intensive as what we're going to see at the Mill Street 2.0 project. It'll be a, a less high needs population. Uh, and they'll have a case manager, it'll have security, uh, it'll have um, on-site staffing, but it won't, it won't have you know, psychiatric services and those sorts of things available. Uh, so it'll be a nice um, addition to our, our housing mix. So the way that we're, we're planning to fund that, uh, that gap uh, in at least the short term, <laughs> Health and Human Services has set aside um, uh, basically $1.25 million of an allocation we received from the state for whole person care, uh, for programs of counties that were running active whole person care programs for housing support. So we're gonna use that money to offset the operations costs. Um, so that funding cannot be used for services. So the voucher revenue will support uh, services and the um, operations gap will be filled by, uh, by those dollars. And that's about enough to fill about 10 years of the gap um, though beyond that, we do not have uh, uh, an identified funder. So That's still a pretty good horizon, though. It sounds it's, like <laughs> ten years is, is is not terrible. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then for the the Kerner property, um, that property is currently operating as the relocated Mill Street project, while Mill Street is under redevelopment, uh, and uh, that is funded partly through a county grant and just the regular uh, operations funding that we provide for the Mill Street shelter. Uh, and then supplemented with Emergency Solutions Grants Coronavirus Program Fund. Uh, when that program closes uh, and reopens at Mill Street, uh, we're working with uh, Eden Housing um, to be the likely eventual owner of that property, and they will uh, redevelop it. Uh, to, it's an office building, and it'll be turned into units, apartment units. Uh, unfortunately, that program is in an area of concentrated poverty as designated by HUD. We cannot project-based vouchers there, so we had to get a little bit creative. Uh, what we're planning to do is uh, relocate an existing smaller permanent supportive housing program that's currently in a building that is uh, inappropriate for its aging residents. Uh, and uh, we worry about the long-term viability of that program um, without a new location. So we're gonna relocate uh, that program to the Kerner site and then uh, through a grant, fingers crossed, from the No Place Like Home program which we've uh, just been notified, we met threshold requirements for our application. Thank you to Behavioral Health and Recovery Services and Eden Housing for that. Uh, we um, will add additional beds uh, and support those additional beds uh, through those funds. Um, and then there's still a little bit of a gap, which Behavioral Health and Recovery Services um, 
is working on uh, some things to help us uh, to cover that. There's a, a few different possible avenues, including increased medical revenue, uh, which we think is possible there. Great, and, and you know, I think the hope is as, as we stabilize folks in housing, as we, as we pursue permanent supportive housing, that it's cost effective because by getting folks off the street, uh, we're reducing uh, expensive emergency services, you know, whether it's at the hospital or uh, emergency room or jail, you know, or, uh, as a case may be. Um, are we seeing some uh, results in that regard uh, through these more recent efforts through the pandemic? That's a great question. Um, we haven't done that sort of detailed data analysis since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, we definitely have seen uh, in the first few years uh, that we were operating coordinated entry and using housing first, we did do a number of those analyses and uh, particularly in the city of San Rafael, we saw significant decreases in police engagements, uh, in emergency transports. Um, the city of San Rafael has been a great partner in this and they did a lot of really great data analysis for us. Um, we do know based on a cost study from the uh, County of Santa Clara uh, a couple years back that it costs about $40,000 less annually to, to put a high needs person in permanent supportive housing than it does to leave them on the streets because those emergency interventions are so expensive. Uh, but we don't have data from the last year. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. And then finally, in terms of interaction with communities and, and of course their key partners, as Benita mentioned, uh, and neighborhoods, have there been uh, any incidents or issues that have emerged uh, since we've implemented HomeKey, at least 1.0 so far, in terms of any issues like that? That's a great question. Um, certainly the communities near the HomeKey properties uh, during the acquisition process were very nervous about having homeless programs in their communities. Um, I would particularly highlight the Puerto Madera project as a great success uh, in terms of our partnership. That program is just newly operational in the last few weeks, so it's a little bit early uh, for actual results there, but our partnership with the community has been phenomenal. Um, we're working so closely. There's a, a steering committee that includes um, me uh, as well as Catholic Charities, which is the program operator, uh, staff from uh, the town, um, and a city council member. And the city also um, uh, solicited applications from residents to participate in the, in, the, in the steering committee. And so we're working with them on things like what uh, some possible landscape changes might be. Um, uh, that committee chose the name the Casa Buena for the property, um, <laughs> working with them on, on issues that arise. Uh, that committee put out a great um, ribbon cutting video, uh, which we'd be happy to share with your board if you haven't seen it for that project a couple of weeks back. Um, so that's been, that's been really wonderful. And that communication has been able to really help us as um, some of the little rough edges of starting a program, uh, including things like where folks who are using that program park their cars and, and uh, how that impacts the neighbors. We're able to work really closely with the town of Corte Madera on those issues and resolve them really quickly. And Catholic Charities have been really responsive. And then yeah, I, think that, I think that's oh, gonna be important as we, as we obviously look uh, uh, strategically at some other locations and of course yeah. making sure there is adequate staffing at each location. Yes yeah and, and Homer Bound has also been um, very proactive with the community uh, surrounding meeting with the homeowners associations near the Kerner property as well to assuage any concerns and and work with those uh, those residents as well. 
Thanks. Supervisor Moulton Peters. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, I want to compliment the team, all of you, on your presentation. I particularly like the integrated approach that we're taking. And Ashley, to listen to you rattle off all those grants and things you're piecing together to make it all work was really something. Uh, I, I like the holistic approach. I think that Supervisor Connolly raised a very good point. If there's ways that we can track over time savings and emergency room costs through efforts and other department could run that, that for us. But I do think uh, this links to something that Supervisor Rice said yesterday about the prevention approach that we are taking to wellness here in this county. And the more that we can show that this is the trade-offs are working, uh, what appears to be greater expenses in some areas really are a good investment because of savings in others. So I applaud that. Um, I thought the presentation was excellent. And uh, I, I actually think with some of the additional info that Supervisor Connolly just asked for on how services are provided to add some slides, I'd, I'd like to suggest we take this to the cities through MCCMC or some other we would create. I know we're all actively looking at home key locations uh, in different parts of the county, and I think this would help explain to the cities uh, what this partnership is all about. So it's very useful that way. Um, I did have a couple of questions. One regards the coordinated entry program. I wanted to understand, I understand there's a large committee that um, uh, addresses this. I, I wanted to understand how that works uh, and specifically because uh, I also wanted to invite some of the members of that committee to come and look at the anchor out situation just to get a, a look at that kind of precarious housing. But, but I'm curious how that committee works and how large it is. I have another question about whether the housing such as Casa Buena uh, and the other building in San Rafael, we, we've been able to acquire these buildings through federal funding. And my question is, are those now permanently going to be dedicated to uh, housing uh, in the future? Because there's a, there's a build back better that we've uh, uh, you know, experienced be because of the uh, pandemic, but good for us if we get to keep these. And then finally, uh, a question either for, uh, Benita or perhaps Matthew or Lily, but I'm, I'm wondering if we have in the county an overarching housing plan of, of, of what a strategy of what we're trying to accomplish regarding moving people from homelessness into homes and then presumably farther along. Uh, and it ties in with our affordable housing efforts too. In other words, what, what is the overall effort need to look like in Marin County to get people housed? and then to keep them affordably housed. And um, so anyway, those are my questions and I look forward to the answers. Thank you. So I'll start. Who, who would the, like to start that? Ashley, go ahead. I'll start with question number one. Uh, the Coordinated Entry Steering Committee uh, is a, it's one of our uh, massive systems overhauls uh, that we implemented in the last few years. Uh, it's run by, um, or it, it's a collaborative effort of all of our homeless housing and service providers. Um, 
who are uh, either receiving referrals through um, coordinated entry, who are making referrals into coordinated entry. Uh, so, you know, it's the um, executive director, deputy director, sorts of uh, level folks um, from all of those agencies. And there's a, I'm hesitant to name them because I'm going to forget a lot of them, but it's everyone from Homerbound and Downtown Streets and Bacaloo and Behavioral Health and Recovery Services. And um, just, it's, it's a wide group of folks uh, and it's a, um, uh, decisions, uh, policy decisions about coordinated entry are made uh, collaboratively by that group uh, that then actually makes um, recommendations to the Homeless Policy Steering Committee, which is our, our continuum of care, which is a federally and state mandated decision-making structure. Um, so the steering committee will, will make um, uh, preliminary decisions, draft working policies, uh, test stuff out, um, and then make recommendations for official policies uh, to the Homeless Policy Steering Committee to actually adopt. So our uh, policies and procedures are adopted by uh, the Homeless Policy Steering Committee, but tested uh, in this smaller group, smaller, it's about 20 folks who meet for two hours every week uh, to, to work on these issues and um, uh, triage uh, emergency client matters as well. Um, and then I'll defer to Lily on your question about the long-term usage of the properties. Uh, but I will also note on the, um, I don't have an answer for your overall housing plan for the county question, um, but we are working with Opening Doors Marin um, on a, which is a public-private partnership of funders and policymakers across Marin on a business plan for chronic and addressing chronic and veteran homelessness. We had a good draft of that uh, right before the pandemic hit, we've picked that back up uh, and hope to be able to share something uh, in the next uh, coming months. On the home key uh, properties, Supervisor, the, there's a 55 year deed restriction required as part of receiving that funds. Um, that actually will be coming to your board for approval and consent shortly, but it's, they are deed restricted as affordable housing for 55 years. Um, and, and then your, about your question about kind of a, a wider affordable housing plan, the county's housing element acts as that affordable housing plan that identifies what the specific needs are in our community by income level and how and where we can, um, you know, how and where we can meet those needs in a variety of ways. And as you know, we're in the initial phases of updating our current housing element. I would say that there is definitely room for improvement of making a more coordinated and, you know, um, a more coordinated approach around homelessness and, and saying like, here is how the county intends to meet the needs of homelessness and having that, as, it's a small section in the housing element, but kind of highlighting it and making that, you know, I think there's more room for coordination and collaboration with Health and Human Services than we're updating that section. Yeah, great. Thank you, Lily, and thank you, Ashley, Ken, and Benita. Supervisor Arnold, any questions? Um, yeah, I do. Um, so in listening, in listening to this and the plans, it, it all sounds like a beautiful dream. But then when you confront the people that are going to be living there, it, it, it's a hell. So I think one thing that we should look at is some way to preempting what, the, what we know it's going to be. Like I just saw in the paper now there's a uh, they're having a meeting somewhere that says, you know, 
do you want your your here's what your neighborhood's going to look like if you if you support these these uh, uh, bills <clears throat> and what I'm thinking is, what if we got staff and we did some kind of a preempting, like a like a not a, not a movie, but like a, a a you know a TV thing that you could they could put on, maybe as new bills come out that aren't done yet, maybe as we have you know more more. Um, as you know, in my district, we have, you know, the two uh, homeless encampments that um, are causing a huge trouble. And then also when, when, the, uh, when the key came in, uh, we almost had a riot and couldn't do it. And, but I, I, so that's is what making me think, what if we did something that, that, that could be, uh, uh, you know, passed around that said, here, first of all, here's what no housing looks like. And then you show the encampments. And then you say, now here's what, here's some answers that are, that are coming up. And then to show, um, yes, here's this, this uh, a home key project. This is, no one, to, they always talk about the, 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 uh, the key more than the home, but anyway. Um, I, I just think I just think we need to do something because what 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 I think staff is finding out, which is hard, is that whenever there's something up in our in our neighborhood or in our district, the staff has to come in, be beat up, uh, and it's just we need. First of all, I think the supervisors need to agree on the fact that yes, we do need to have high housing and we need housing for the, and here's why. And, um, and let's look at where it should go. If the supervisors are, are uh, agree, you know, agree to this, then I think staff would feel better and could get more ammunition when they, go, I probably ammunition isn't a good word, but get more facts when they go out uh, to, to that we take them to places where they're going to have to answer these questions. Um, because it's, um, it hasn't ever worked well in Marin. And, and I know that our staff, we could not have a better staff on trying to, on talking to the community and, and working and, but, you know, Benita, you know that it still gets nasty, doesn't it? So anyway, I, I wish we could do, I wish we could be preempted um, and do something. It's the regional, regional agencies are gonna, you know, it's gonna be hell when they start coming out. And, um, and I, want, I want this, I want us to have this. I think it's neighborhoods, you can use that. And it makes me sad when we have to say, well, you know, we can't do it because, um, you know, because they started a recall and they've gotten 600 names, you know, some, something like that. Um, so that's my question. I, I can, you know, I, I would just say, um, Supervisor Arnold, I understand what you're saying. I appreciate um, your comments. Um, certainly our goal is to be as transparent as possible 
Um, we are thinking early about how we can communicate uh, to the public about you know the value of these projects. Um, you know, sort of our all of the uh, information that goes into creating this project. You know, the support that goes in, what we are committing to as a county and as a health and human services uh, agency to support the projects when they go in. Um, it's our goal that the, the the individuals have success. I mean, that's our goal. We want everyone to be able to live their best life and. We believe people can do that when they're housed uh, versus when they're unhoused. And so uh, we have a strong commitment to transparency, to communication. You know, as you have as you have mentioned, we have a superstar, Ashley, on our team who's a communicator. And um, uh, we're, I know she's, uh, um, she's willing to continue to uh, help lead the messaging. Um, and we just want the community to know that you know, we're committed to this work. Uh, we want to do the right thing for everyone. We want everybody to be happy as possible. Um, but uh, we're committed to moving forward with getting more people in Marin House. I mean, it is, we're committed to health and, and, and health and safety. And that, that's what this work requires for us. Um, and don't, don't leave out the mother of all of, uh, of this is Lily Thomas, who's been in the training. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I apologize, <laughs> Lily. Lily uh, is also my hero as well. And uh, she knows she's my hero. I hope I apologize for leaving her out, but she certainly has been a, a true leader, a superstar in this effort. Um, I, I'll, last thing I'll just say is that similar to our work uh, with justice uh, professionals that we talked about yesterday, is all of this work requires partnership and it really requires partnership and collaboration. And we, uh, we can't move forward without that. We're hopeful with information um, and with education that we'll gain even more partners we need. And we have some great partners, as you mentioned, with the CDA, with Lili and great partners with the Marine Housing Authority, with the, um, the cities, uh, with the nonprofits, you know, with the Homeward Bound, the Catholic Charities, and of course, um, with everybody on the Health and Human Services team, uh, and also county departments have been very uh, helpful in this in this work. And I would add on the uh, community um, acceptance of the the programs uh, front. Um, I think the steering committee in Corner Madera is a great example of how that can really turn around. Uh, one of its members, um, I believe he actually said this in the ribbon cutting video that I'm happy to share with you, um, was that he started out, uh, he had no previous political engagement uh, in Marin and started out um, a serious objector to the project. Um, he, he says himself he was out there with a metaphorical torch and pitchfork. Um, and then, uh, but he values data. And so he did his research and found that his fears were unfounded. Uh, by the data, um, that property values don't increase, that crime rates don't go up, uh, and he became one of the project's mm -hmm. strongest allies, and I think that's just such a, a wonderful story, um, and I'd, I'd love to be able to tell that more widely. Yep, great. Rem everyone remember that. <laughs> Supervisor Rice, did you have an additional question? Yeah, just really quickly, and it, um, uh, building off of Supervisor Arnold's remarks, the role that, that this com the community outreach and interface, the importance of it in advance of a project and handholding during is really critical. And that um, 
we saw where we had successes with that kind of interface with the community on the Cordendera project, not so much with Novato. And partly um, that was due to the time constraints, but I also, this is the sort of question to staff, and I, don't, I think it's one that I want Matthew to hear as well as my colleagues is, um, you all um, have been working beyond your hours and around the clock in order to make these projects come through in the partnership. We had outside help we brought on. We, we used the um, opening door support to do some coordination. We had other folks helping on making the home key, those two home keys and the, uh, and the three go through. And I just, um, I think colleagues, one of the areas we may want to be thinking about when we get to um, one-time funding allocations is to think about is there some one-time monies that we would like to put towards supporting um, the kind of coordination and support that and the execution of some of these home key projects might take might take if we're able to execute uh, get a couple more in the pipeline over the next few years and um, I don't think the money the money is not there as part of those projects and not an HHNS, um, but potentially it's something we could allocate some one-time money towards. Just throwing it out there. Thank you, Supervisor. And I just wanted to follow up <coughs> along the same lines, talk Stephanie a little bit about- Stephanie has her hand up. Oh, I'm sorry. Stephanie has her hand up. Oh, I'm sorry. Stephanie, did you have to want to add something? Thank you, Dennis. I'll be brief. I, I just wanted to also uh, support what Judy said in terms of uh, a collaborative effort and a need for community engagement that is comprehensive. It reminds me a little of what the cities and the county did several years ago around affordable housing, where I think the planning departments put together a book of examples of what the affordable housing looks like, and uh, these help to quell the fears. Uh, and I think the same could happen with the shelters. I'm certainly willing to participate in that, but I, I do think we need a, a intentional engagement effort with our, our uh, team, Lainey uh, and all involved in this to help us put this together proactively so that we don't have the kinds of situations that Supervisor Arnold was talking about where the staff goes out in the field and um, has to deal potluck with, you know, what happens. So thank you. <clears throat> yeah, thank you, Supervisor. So I just wanted to follow up on the home key um, two opportunities <clears throat> just to see, um, because this may be the first time the public is hearing this opportunity is coming back. And my question to staff is, who's the contact person? Should someone be out there with a property that they want to approach you and suggest that their property might be considered. And then secondly is, I know there's economy of scale, but there's also scales of economy or scales of local residents that fit better in certain communities. So um, while small may not be suitable for services, sometimes a project like Casa Buena fits very well in a community like Corte Madera. Um, and also in communities like West Marin that wouldn't ever have a a building that large to even buy. And so I, I don't want to lose sight of that because I think it's important that the entire county participate in this and that we not try and center these in, in certain locations going forward that we spread it throughout the county, north, south, east and west and try and get them equally distributed. So I just, just wanted to follow up on the home key two idea. Who, who 
would someone contact if they have a property that they might be interested in participating in this next round? So I'll let you answer that. And then I just have a follow-up comment. Uh, yes. Uh, so at least for um, right now, Opening Doors Marin is um, okay. the, the figurehead uh, for um, working with local communities and uh, helping us identify criteria for <laughs> properties. So um, the project director there is Andrew Henning. Um, um from uh, opening doors Marin. And I think Lily had a, a thought too. Yeah, I just wanted to, to talk a little bit about the, the smaller projects, which, you know, although, you know, the work that was done with the city and the community in Corte Madera, as Ashley mentioned, is really exemplary. I think that we can hold it up as something that we're all proud of. The ongoing financial feasibility of that project is really a struggle and a, and a heavy lift. And, you know, we had the, the two projects, the 19 unit and the 44 um, room office as our other home key project. And that one we have identified a nonprofit who is ready to take ownership of that, who will be bringing tax credits into leverage um, the remodel on that. But the smaller project is really difficult for us to fund and for it to be a feasible. So we need to evaluate that as part of of the of a project as we're as we're identifying future sites to make sure that it's something that can be feasible and and operated over time without having to subsidize it with with county general funds, you know, we really need and, to and Dennis, it's it's, that in. it's finding a, a nonprofit partner where it's feasible. It's not just the subsidy. It's it's finding someone who's willing to operate uh, given that dynamic. And, and it's harder to get a nonprofit to be excited about a smaller uh, development. Yeah, I, I think I would agree. The normal nonprofit um, people that we deal with when it comes to owning homes, but I think there's maybe smaller nonprofits out there that could be partners too. And and I do think it's going to take a commitment of county funds in addition to what we're we're getting from the feds and the state. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's a big it's a big lift, but it's also, I think it's it's less costly in the long run if you're able to place these people in in housing. And so you have to look at the long term, long time turnaround and what that looks like too, because the alternative is not that great when you have people on the street and having to provide services or trying to provide services to them there, let alone the emergency response and <clears throat> going to emergency rooms and things like that, the cost of that. So I, so I think it's just a, it's a discussion we should have. And because in Marin, it's difficult to do any development, even existing development, we need to be open to all kinds of different alternatives and, and trying to make it work. But I, but I did want to specifically thank these people on, on the call today, Lily and Ashley and Ken and Benita, because um, quite honestly, I saw their deep commitment on the Casa Buena project. Um, night after night, meeting after meeting, they went out to try and educate the public. And, and it really did work out well, working with the community, working with the city. But it was this, this staff's commitment to make that happen that really enabled it to happen. And the working group is a perfect example of what we need to do going forward, no matter what the size of the project is, because it really engages the community and, and gets them involved. And, and in that process, they actually take some ownership of, of this property. And, and that's, that's really great. 
<clears throat> in fact, one of the working group members was just appointed to the city council in Corte Madera. Um, and, and that was her first experience of working, working on a public project in the city. And she got so engaged, she was selected for the city council when they had a vacancy. So um, anyway, but I wanna thank this staff that's here today because they did the heavy lift to, to make Casa Buena work and San Rafael work, although San Rafael um, seemed to go a little smoother with the help of the city being in, engaged. But it really takes that sort of team and that sort of commitment and I'm glad that we have that team in place. So I'm gonna go to public comment now. The first speaker is Kevin Carroll, followed by Eva. Kevin, please unmute and you have the option to share video. Good afternoon, supervisors. And uh, I, to start, I wanna say how impressed I was with the staff's work on the Corner Madera project, which is down the road for me and I followed it closely. It was very impressive and, and very positive um, the way they and the city of leaders in Corner Madera worked that out. Um, one thing I'd like to point out, I'm glad to hear about the new home keep coming in but so far what's happened is it's either been motel rooms or converting commercial space. Commercial space takes a, a long time and it is expensive. Hotels that need remodeling too, uh, though a shorter turnaround, but the problem is long-term, they're really only suitable for generally one or two adults. And, and it's not really a place that people can have families. Um, one of the things I would like to suggest to staff is a place to look would be recreational vehicle parks. We have three that I know of here in Marin, one in West Marin, one in Novato, and one here in Larkspur. Right now there's 89 spaces there that have water, electricity, and sewer hookups. Um, the types of homeless that we're dealing with on an immediate basis are people in tents and cars and RVs, all of which could be accommodated on those 89 sites and in, on a fairly rapid and immediate basis. There's a central shower facility, bathrooms, and a coin laundromat at that location. It's in walking distance to all the major transportation lines, including ferry, smart train, et cetera, um, Safeways nearby, Trader Joe's, et cetera. Uh, the other, advantages to it is that over a period of time, the units could be upgraded. People could be moved into from cars and tents up to RVs or from RVs up until trailers that are there. And the cost of a trailer is much cheaper than any remodeling cost from a commercial building to a, um, an apartment. It would be not necessarily permanent though possibly uh, but also would have the advantage that then they could be moved on into regular housing in Marin County, which we have a shortage of apartments. I have one son who is handicapped, was just authorized. He needs overnight care now. He's been authorized with the new Section 8 voucher. And I can't begin to tell you how difficult it is finding a two-bedroom apartment for him. Uh, we just are a crowded county and there's no place to build. Uh, so I just wanted to recommend that as a possible alternative. Thank you. The next speaker is Eva. Eva, please unmute. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? Yes. 
Thanks so much. Um, I wanted, I wanted to um, thank Kevin Carroll for his comments. I think if you if you want real insight into the county, it's always good to talk to people who drive cabs because they see almost everything. And they see a slightly different perspective um, than than the rest of the county, but it's terrific. And I also wanted to thank Judy Arnold for her for her patience um, in trying to in trying to get some housing for people. Um, it's 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 a tough crowd in Novato, and um, I was able to see some of the video um, of the last meeting, um, and it was pretty harsh. I do I do want to point out that um, there are unhoused people who are working as advocates for themselves. And they're, they're a remarkable group of people, Robbie Powelson, Jason Saris, these are names that come to mind immediately. And I'd really like to see the county work a little more closely um, with these guys um, because they've been able to bring together unhoused people and housed people um, in a spirit of solidarity and, and uh, mutual aid. So it's, there's a lot that can be done and I do have to say that Kevin Carroll's idea about the RV camps is really brilliant. Sorry for the noise, I'm at the laundromat, but um, it's a terrific idea. And, um, and one thing it reminds me of are the um, car camps that you used to see in California, not the, not the quote unquote Oki camps, but there were actual car camps where um, people would drive, up, drive their cars up and there would be a small structure, running water, all that sort of thing. And that's very cheap to build and to provide. So I hope people can look into that. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm happy to provide photos of that to the, uh, the car camps that started in the 1920s in the Bay Area. And they were around, I think, until the, the end of the war. Thanks a lot. The next speaker is Charlene Eldon. Charlene, please unmute. Charlene, go ahead. Charlene, it looks like you're having some audio issues. How I, I am sorry. She is. Go ahead. Oh my gosh, I was going on and on. All right, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I wanted to talk about the county messaging because I know that there is um, a very harsh contingent of people who think that affordable housing will lead to all kinds of horrible things. But in terms of counter counterbalance, sorry, in terms of counterbalancing that, we can help to spread the message that affordable housing is really green for the environment because we would provide places to live for workers who would otherwise be commuting here. Um, just a suggestion off the top of my head would be to look at the Center for Urban Pedagogy for some of the kinds of friendly but very informative posters and flyers and messaging that you can put out to the community to let people know about basic things like this. Thank you. President Rodoni, there are no additional speakers in the queue. 
Okay, I'm gonna bring it back to staff. Any last minute comments? Um, Judy, you've got your hand up. I do. Um, I just wanted to add that um, the work that you and Supervisor Rice did on the um, on the uh, the road in the, or the road through all your counties or all your cities there that really is a template that that we should all remember because you had numerous meetings. You people started in with with one one of the insistent and then ended up with something totally different. And the only, the only problem with that is that is time. You, you had time to do your study. So what's happening now is we get word and said, and, and everyone has to know in a week and a half and that makes it difficult. But if we're in a situation where we do have some time, I think that um, the, the gatherings that you all did and the questions that you ask, I I would like to know more about it, and I bet everybody else because it was it, I thought it was really successful. Yes, Benita. Um, yes, President Rodoni. I just want to say in closing that you know we appreciate all the comments and all of the suggestions. We're always looking for new suggestions. Uh, my mother always said, "Not all the smarts is in one head," so we'd love to have the suggestions. <laughs> but I will. Um, I will remind the public that our housing first philosophy is, is really key to this work and, and, and really key to our success. And any effort that we put toward uh, temporary housing means there are funds that don't go to permanent housing. So I just want to remind, again, I pre we appreciate the suggestions. They're all, the, some of the suggestions that came up today are things that we have thought of, but just want to remind the public that, you know, housing first is our goal, is our philosophy, and resources that we put to temporary measures mean that people don't get permanent housing. So thank you again for the opportunity to present today, and we're, we're moving forward, we're committed to this work, and we appreciate all the support that we get. Thank you. Yep, thank you all. So we're going to move on now to the second part of the afternoon session, which is climate change and sea level rise. So I think we have some um, people to bring into the meeting now. It looks like Chris, there we go. And Veronica Pearson, perhaps too. There we go. Very good. And Chris, Alex. And Alex, yep. Thank you. And Chris, are you leading us off? I believe Brett is actually leading us off. Okay, very good. So Brett, up to you. Yeah, thank you, Supervisor, and thank you, uh, Chris and uh, Veronica, for uh, for this presentation you're about to give, as well as Dana Armanino, I think needs to be led into the room, um, and Alex uh, Portashever. So I just wanted to give a couple brief comments about kind of the, the working group that we've had here, um, and certainly give a lot of my thanks again to the presenters today for 
putting together the presentation today. Um, I think you'll see through the slides here that uh, you know climate change and sea level rise are not only you know a, a kind of a pressing issue for the county, but they are countywide in nature. And so you'll see a lot of discussion about you know partnerships not only within the county departments, with cities, towns, and local organizations, but also with all the the different uh, public and private partnerships we have with homeowners and landowners in the, in the county. And so um, without you know kind of going too far into what the presenters are going to give. I just wanted to again say thank you to them for their work in this effort, not only here this last couple of years, but I think many, much of this goes back, you know, pushing 10 or 15 years here in the county. So um, an update here for today and certainly a longer lens for, for issues going forward. Um, but without saying much more, I'll just turn it back over to Chris to kind of take us through the sea level rise uh, portion of the presentation this morning for this afternoon. Good afternoon. I'll actually be starting us off um, I'm Veronica Pearson with Marin County Parks. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you supervisors and um, good afternoon to all. Currently, we're looking at a map that image that depicts three feet of sea level rise with flood prone and flood hazard areas in green and light blue. The data and science is showing us that sea level rise is occurring and will exponentially increase. With most sky dense documents predicting that in 15 years, we could experience 10 inches of sea level rise, and with a 100-year event on the bayside alone, 1,300 parcels and 700 buildings could be affected, along with tens of thousands of people that travel through our region daily. By mid-century, 90 to 100% of commercial properties and up to 84% of residential parcels around Stinson Beach will be adversely affected. So it's with pleasure that Chris Chu and I get to speak with you and speak with you all about the County of Marin sea level rise efforts and what we're doing right now to prepare for current and future impacts of sea level rise. Next slide, please. Currently, sea level rise adaptation efforts are underway by the Community Development Agency, the Department of Public Works, and Marin County Parks, and it encompasses a range of work and all of our efforts require cross-department coordination. Our agencies are also working together with local community groups, nonprofit partners, residents, municipalities, technical experts to develop strategies. And though not on the slide, I do want to point out that <clears throat> what's shown is Health and Human Services. And we have worked with them in the past and we hope to be able to resume working with them in the near future and including them in our efforts. So let's dive in a little further. The next slide, please. This circle and its parts represent what our agencies are working on and working towards. We're doing this in conjunction with each other and with other entities and organizations to the best of our abilities. The planning and policy includes updates to comply with state and federal requirements, engaging with their planning efforts, as also, also um, making efforts to create community supported sea level rise strategies and designs and we're working with community groups to support their related efforts and programs. We're also actively developing designs and implementing projects on our lands to pilot innovative strategies and methods that have multiple benefits and that are guided by science and data. Next slide. These efforts can take many different forms in the way that we educate, outreach with the community members, design, and the implementation approaches that are chosen. Next slide. This year, each of our agencies has priorities that focus on planning, engagement, and project designs. CDA is leading CSMART, the Sea Level Rise 
planning program for West Marin communities with three major efforts underway. The Stinson Beach Adaptation and Resilience Collabor Collaboration, which is a community-led program, will be a model for other similar efforts to examine approaches to adaptation to coastal hazards associated with sea level rise. The Stinson Beach Nature-Based Feasibility Study and the Tamales Bay Living Shoreline Project. CD is also managing a FEMA grant to update the Marin County multi-jurisdictional local hazard mitigation plan that will assess, assess climate change vulnerabilities and identify mitigation measures. And CDA is limit, leading a similar effort to update the countywide plan safety element. And DPW is connects, continuing with the next phase of the Bayway Sea Level Rise Adaptation Program by evaluating capital projects under development across the county developing criteria for pilot road construction projects to address near and long-term flooding concerns. We're also supporting local sea level rise adaptation planning in San Rafael, Corte Madera, Salsalito, Tam Valley, and addressing issues of equity and vulnerability in Marin City and the San Rafael Canal, as well as interfacing with regional state efforts to address these challenges. We're also working on completing the design and environmental permitting of the Deer Island Basin Complex Tidal Restoration Project in Nevada. They're seeking funding for the Santa Venetia Timber Reinforced Berm and assessing next steps after the loss of the tax measure by three votes. And also on DPW's work plan is developing adaptation projects to address access to and from communities and for emergency response and public infrastructure by working with public works department, transportation and public responders. At Parks, we're continuing design development for multiple ben multi-benefit sea level rise adaptation projects to improve the resiliency of our estuarine wetlands and protect our recreational activities and travel across our lands. On the McGinnis Marsh Restoration Project, we will continue design development as well as refining concept designs for the Bothine Marsh Open Space Preserve and the multi-use path and completing the designs for the Bolinas Lagoon Y Wetlands Project. Not to be lost on all this is Together, CDA has received over 1.1 million in grant funding, DPW 1.3 million, and Parks 1.2 million, as well as Parks has utilized the local Measure A to provide over 3 million in match funding. Next slide. Both here we're showing the status of current and past sea level rise adaptation efforts on lands owned and managed by the county. And all our projects, we're striving to engage with the community. And a number of our projects are in early stages of study, design, and concept assessment. Nearing completion is the Bolinas Lagoon Y Wetlands Project, and is part of the larger Bolinas Lagoon North End Vision that's had strong support from the community and funding agencies. And earnest efforts are being made to secure final funding for construction in 2023. Parks and its partner, Audubon, California, was a part of Department of Public Works have completed a restoration project on a Ram Root Island, which piloted innovative nature-based shoreline stabilization techniques. And both Ram Root Island and Kent Island are now being actively monitored and we continue to share the success of these projects with others. Chris. Next slide, please. So um, I just wanted to highlight the, the number of different projects. Veronica just walked through many of them. Um, we have a range of projects that address uh, work that we can do on lands that we own. Many of those are multi-benefit and nature-based in, in, in their designs. 
we're also working on planning efforts, we're working on community engagement efforts, we're working on technical and feasibility studies. And so just a few more that we are working on. This map is actually available on marinslr.org, our Marin County um, sea level rise website. We have um, the hydrology and hydraulics manual that's being developed for um, to include sea level rise guidance, but it's uh, to help support development and um, remodeling in the county. We have a flood trigger model for the county that helps better uh, better help residents and, and um, emergency responders better prepare for uh, flood events. And so, you know, I just want to point out the range of work that that county staff really lead across the county. This map just shows what the county is really leading on. Uh, the map you'll see on the Marin SLR page includes many partner efforts as well. Next slide. I wanted to dive in a little bit deeper. Um, given the success of, of the many projects you just heard Veronica mention, um, it, it sounds as if we're, we're heading towards adaptation and towards some success, but you know, there are many factors that really contribute to the county's risks. And I want to kind of highlight the, the impacts of sea level rise versus a lot of the flooding that we've experienced in the past. And with sea level rise, we're talking about permanent flooding. We're talking about the fact that the county is quite vulnerable now um, to flood events and that potentially, you know, depending on the scenarios, we have a chance of increasing that risk over time. So sea level rise won't stop. So in this map, you see three feet of, uh, of additional bay levels, bay and sea levels, and the red circles signify areas of, um, of highways that will be inaccessible. These are all common flood locations around the county, um, and many of them have experienced flooding even just during big storms. Uh, because of, of issues like this, um, these, this represents our ability to move around the county and whether or not you live right alongside one of these roads, um, this provides access to food, it, it, it supplies the, the roads for employees and workers. Um, and I think we've, a lot of us have really seen this since the pandemic and since some of the, you know, the, the recent events with things like Highway 37 flooding, that these impacts are pretty significant, especially on a peninsula county like Marin. So we need to be planning for this uh, collectively. Uh, we need community engagement. We need the engagement of our cities and towns. We've done a lot to get there, um, but we still have a long way to go. Also wanna point out that as we plan for sea level rise, you know, we're planning for a horizon that goes out to 2100, 2150 in some cases. And for the average citizen, you know, planning 10, 20 years out might be about the range of, of long-term planning. And so we have very different planning horizons and we need to start to find ways to allow us to plan for the long-term while still being able to look in the short-term. Next slide, please. I wanted to further highlight the transportation impacts by showing this slide. This is actually recently created for a story map, um, a webpage that was developed for a grant we received in Southern Marin along the Manzanita Tan Valley area, but it really does represent, uh, this graphic represents a countywide impact. And um, this is really showing emergency access. So um, three of the hospitals here are listed that with emergency rooms. And what you're seeing in the color shading across the map are um, residents' ability to access that, that emergency room. So the three feet of sea level rise, um, you're seeing that most of, most of West Marin and the north part of the county can still access Novato Hospital. 
Um, and as you look down along uh, the peninsula, along the bayside and across Southern Marin, you're starting to see that the areas in yellow and then in orange, and then finally increasing at the, at the red um, areas are, are experiencing trouble getting to those, to those emergency rooms. And this might be a rerouting of their, of their, um, their planned route. And so it might involve having to go a, a different direction just to get to the hospital. It may not be the fastest typical route. One of the things that this does demonstrate is um, the need to kind of be planning for not only county-owned property, but planning for the community at large, thinking about ways that we can scale projects over time, and thinking about how as county and as cities and towns, um, we might start to address public infrastructure um, and some of kind of the, the, the public needs uh, as we look across the county to this, to this long-term risk. Um, and so the red areas here could be cut off. Um, one, one approach might be to start to look at how we can make sure that those, those residents can get in and out. Obviously, hospitals aren't the only access and perhaps um, if, if an emergency room was needed, um, you wouldn't necessarily jump in your car and so access to these, to these emergency rooms is still available. This isn't meant to panic anyone too much, but it's also just here to kind of point out the, the ways that the community floods in across the county and some of the ways that um, that could impact all residents. Next slide, please. So looking forward in terms of our funding considerations, thinking about how we move from those projects that Veronica mentioned, the needs that we have in our work plan going, uh, going forward, um, just across the three departments, there's some consistency across need for additional staffing um, I'll mention that each of our each of our departments has uh, you know two or three people working on this effort, and so there's just generally a, a need for technical and general um, staffing support. There's need for outreach and engagement, especially with all the work we're doing with communities um, and with grants, grant you know, grant writers, grant management, and then significantly there's also program costs and project development. So, looking forward, looking at the the, the, the arrow across the bottom, the sea, sea level rise increases over time, we may need additional response. And all that's really trying to say is, depending on how quickly sea level rise comes, not only do we need to address that, but over time, the work we do today may not be enough. And so if, if the levels um, continue to increase over time, we may have to add to the projects that we're building now or planning for now um, and adapt them in the future. And so given that we have these big ongoing program costs. And um, I think what we need to be thinking about as a county really is what's feasible for adaptation given, given our communities, given our current, um, given our current layout, um, and then thinking about what we can achieve and by when, and then really starting to, to think about the costs that we'll need to be planning for. We have, as Veronica mentioned, been really successful with grant funds. Um, but we probably do need to be looking at ongoing revenue sources we need to be thinking about the costs of maintaining and upgrading public infrastructure, and that includes um, the local utilities as well. And then there are some, you know, much larger projects that are on the horizon, and the need to start planning for um, saving up money for those. Some of those may have grant funds tied to them, but others may not. Um, and then the other needs, I think, really across all of our programs, is uh, just to stay involved in the state and federal. Um, planning processes, legislation, funding, grant programs, 
Um, and then lastly, as we successfully build projects, the ability to maintain, monitor, and adaptively manage again with that possible increased risk and in flooding uh, the projects that we do build. Last slide, please. So with this last slide, we just wanted to point out uh, some of our funders, some of our partners in doing this work. And Veronica and I represent just two of the three departments in the county that's doing this work, but I just wanted to mention by name the others that do this work in the county. Um, in, in our community development agency, we have Jack Leibster, Leslie Laco, Heather Dennis, and Maisha Hogan. In parks, we have uh, Veronica, we have Michelle, Julie, Julie, Sarah, Richard, and then in, in public works, we have Roger Leventhal, Lori Williams, and myself doing this work. I think at this point, we'll hand it over to Alex and Dana for the climate adaptation plan and then take questions at the end. Is that correct? Yeah, that sounds good. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Uh, and I'll uh, share my screen here. There we go. Uh, good afternoon, supervisors. I'm Dana Arnino with the Community Development Agency's Sustainability Team. And uh, now the sea level rise and adaptation folks have gotten your attention. Uh, Alex Portashaver and I want to spend a few minutes highlighting some steps that we can take now to potentially stave off the, wet, the worst of some of these potential impacts via the county's 2030 Climate Action Plan, or CAP, and the Drawdown Marin Initiative. And before we dive in, I wanted to take a quick moment to clarify how the CAP and Drawdown are related and work together. While the CAP looks specifically at the unincorporated portions of the county and each Marin jurisdiction is responsible for adopting their own CAPs, the, we also recognize that climate change doesn't stop at jurisdictional boundaries, and it is imperative that we collaborate and build capacity of individuals and organizations across Marin. Without this coordinated countywide effort, none of us will be able to achieve our goals. With that in mind, in, in 2017, the Board of Supervisors launched Drawdown Marin and further committed the county to dramatically reducing countywide emissions. Uh, Drawdown Marin works with Marin jurisdictions, organizations, agencies, and community members to identify bold solutions to Marin's climate challenges. The county's cap then integrates and formalizes Drawdown Marin's work into a county planning document and tool for the unincorporated areas. And other Marin jurisdictions are taking similar steps with their 2030 cap updates. So with that in mind, let's jump into some recent accomplishments and some ongoing initiatives related to the 2030 cap and drawdown. The county of Marin and our Marin community have been working towards greenhouse gas uh, emissions reductions for many years. And the 2018 inventory showcases the results of those efforts. As of the end of 2018, the most recent year for which we have complete inventory data, the unincorporated portions of the county have reduced emissions to 23% below 2005 levels. And we're in the process of doing uh, the inventory updates for all jurisdictions for 2019, and we expect those results later this spring. Uh, we also uh, then specifically looking at our accomplishments within the last year, 
We have completed the two-year planning process for Drawdown Marin, culminating in the board's acceptance of the Drawdown Marin strategic plan in December 2020. Staff also completed the update to the county's climate action plan with measures and targets looking towards 2030, and your board adopted that updated plan and targets for uh, back in December 2020. In addition uh, to the strategic plan and the updated cap, the sustainability team has a number of ongoing initiatives that are working towards reducing emissions, both in the unincorporated area and countywide. And some of these programs include our long running energy efficiency programs, which provide technical uh, assistance and incentives to public agencies, businesses, and re residents throughout the county. The Electrify Marin program launched in 2019 with a grant from the Air District and to date has provided over $203,000 in rebates to residents wishing to replace their natural gas appliances with high efficiency electric units. This program not only results in lower GHG emissions, but can also help improve indoor air quality in homes by removing combustion appliances. In our transportation sector, the sustainability team continues to coordinate the Ride Green Employee Alternative Commute Program for county employees. However, that has seen reduced use this last year uh, due to the steps the county has taken to encourage remote working as a result of COVID. And we are actually gonna be very curious to see how that teleworking has actually lowered our uh, operational GHG emissions as well. So we'll be looking into that. For resiliency, the sustainability team, public works and cultural services are working together with MCE to develop a battery storage project at the Marin Exhibit Hall. And we hope to bring that project back to your board uh, in July. On the carbon sequestration front, uh, last year, the team partnered with the Farm Advisor, the Carbon Cycle Institute, the Marin Resource Conservation District and the Marin Agricultural Land Trust on a Department of Conservation grant funded project to take a deeper dive into the carbon sequestration potential of our working lands. And that resulted in the working lands chapter of our 2030 cap. And we hope it will help us leverage future funds for implementation of projects. And in the waste sector, the team continues to work with the Environmental Health Services Division and Marin cities and towns on a potential reusable foodware ordinance. That project was paused during COVID, uh, but as we progress out of the tier restrictions and as our food facility operators begin to recover, we hope to pick that project back up. And these are just a sampling of the county-led uh, programs initi and initiatives in specific sectors. We also implement cross-sector programs like our green business program. And there are also a number of partner-led initiatives that the county supports and will continue to support via Drawdown Marin. So looking beyond our ongoing initiatives, I wanted to highlight the targets we have set via Drawdown and have incorporated into our 2030 cap. First, let's look at the state targets. Via Senate Bill 32 and subsequent executive orders, the state has set statewide emissions targets of 40% below 1990 equivalent levels by 2030 and 80% below 1990 levels by 2050. 
And now uh, we're gonna overlay the targets that were adopted in the county's 2030 cap. Uh, we start with our 2030 mitigation target that matches the state's target. We committed in the cap to reducing our emissions via mitigation only measures to 40% below 1990 equivalent levels by 2030. However, we also understand that that's not going to be enough to stave off the worst of potential climate impacts. And as the Drawdown Marin Initiative uh, has highlighted, we need more aggressive targets to achieve real impacts. As a result, Drawdown Marin, through their two-year planning project or process, established two goals for Marin County to reduce emissions to 60% below 2005 levels by 2030 and to reach carbon neutrality by 2045. And, and that's, uh, that's a countywide drawdown initiative uh, target they have set. And so then what we had to do as part of our 2030 cap process is draw those into our uh, unincorporated uh, cap document. And so what we've done is uh, we've adopted the they're 60% uh, they're below 2005 level. But what we realized in that cap planning process was that we could not get there with mitigation alone. We are going to, as a county and as a community, take every step that we can to mitigate the emissions we're putting into the atmosphere, but that's just not going to be enough to achieve the goals that we've set. So we're also going to have to draw some uh, greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere, gases that we've already released. And to do that, we are gonna have to uh, implement sequestration measures. And so you'll see we've got the 40% below via mitigation measures and then 60% below via those additional sequestration measures. And carbon sequestration has a lot of co-benefits as well. It can lead to ecosystem restoration, reduced emission, improved air quality and water quality and more productive working lands. And so now that I've laid out our very ambitious goals in our CAP and Drawdown Marin, I'll hand it off to Alex to highlight some of the ways we're gonna try and tackle this. Great, thank you so much, Dana. Good afternoon, supervisors. I'm Alex Portishover. I coordinate Drawdown Marin and am on the county's sustainability team with Dana and with a few others. As you've heard from Dana, we have aggressive greenhouse gas reduction goals, and we need to accelerate local solutions implementation, and we, we need to do it right now. So through the two-year Drawdown Marin planning process and the county's Climate Action Plan 2030 update, we know exactly what, what we need to do, and we're really anxious to get started. This slide showcases some of the Drawdown endorsed solutions and also some of our Climate Action Plan 2030 strategies. I won't go through all of these today, but I did want to elaborate on a few. So one of the Climate Action Plan 2030 and also Drawdown Marin Solution Goals include shifting 45% of passenger vehicles to zero emission vehicles in the next 10 years. Currently we're at about 4%. So we definitely have our work cut out for us and we need to aggressively pursue uh, additional adoption of electric vehicles by building out our electric vehicle charging infrastructure, encouraging and uh, supporting folks to shift to zero emission vehicles if they're able to and can afford it. And also of course, uh, getting folks to shift to non-vehicle modes of transit as well. 
Dana mentioned electrophimerin, and that really aims to tackle another big chunk of our emissions, which are natural gas emissions from the built environment. And we've had really amazing success at reducing emissions related to electricity use as we, we clean uh, the sources of, of energy that we generate and use, and also with the increase of local solar developments. And now we really need to capitalize on all of that amazing work and shift how we, um, or what types of appliances we use in our homes. So working with county staff, implementing the CAB, the new Drawdown Marin nonprofit hopes to accelerate solutions implementation. So the efforts you see listed on this slide and several others by creating and maintaining a hub that increases collaboration and builds capacity of existing organizations and individuals working to address climate change. And you'll hear more about that proposed nonprofit at the board's April 13th meeting. Next slide, please. Hopefully we all know now that climate change impacts do not affect all communities in the same way. Frontline communities suffer first and worst for, from climate disasters, yet are least responsible for emitting greenhouse gases. We also must acknowledge that government planning processes can and do leave community members out. We are trying to include all races, ages, and socioeconomic groups in Drawdown Marin and design the Climate Action Plan measures and Drawdown Marin solutions so that they are accessible, affordable, and equitable. And we need to acknowledge that not one size fits all. To do this, we really have to build trusting relationships with community organizations and individuals. We have to be creative in terms of the types of opportunities we offer people to get involved. And we have to address our own perspectives, perceptions, and biases that may lead to exclusion of folks from the conversation. We also have to work on creating spaces where people want to participate. I also want to acknowledge that, of course, we're not doing this work alone and that there are many other efforts that are working to address inequities in Marin County. And we hope to learn from these and support those efforts. Lastly, we really wanna focus on empowering people to speak up, to tell us what are their priorities and then act based on the input we receive, even if it's not aligned with our own opinions or approaches. And we want to shift power back to communities and back to those people and folks who typically don't get to make decisions. This is really important in the context of climate change. Next slide, please. So to address equity, implement solutions and accomplish our very aggressive goals, the reality is that we need resources. Not all of those resources can or should come from government and not just from the county. And yet we're still asking the board for support in the coming year and hope that its support will send a signal to other local governments and organizations working on climate change that the time is now to work together and to take meaningful action. We're very much looking forward to action and implementation in the coming year and beyond. Our funding request is to, is to support many tasks, including the next phase of Drawdown Marin. I mentioned launching a new nonprofit, which will allow Drawdown to leverage county funding by raising money from multiple sources so we can implement the solutions, continue our internal and community-facing work uh, to address and integrate equity, 
dive deeper into how we can engage the community through a variety of methods online, uh, in person sometime soon through art, and also by continuing to work closely with other county staff to implement the climate action plan. County staff will also continue working with the board climate action plan subcommittee to effectively allocate funding to climate action plan solutions implementation. So as you've heard several times today, we really need to work together on sea level rise adaptation efforts and also on achieving our greenhouse gas reduction goals. And we're hopeful the board will support us as we move forward. Thank you so much. Okay, looks like we're ready for board questions. Any of the board members like to ask staff any questions? I mean, Amen. we, could, we Amen. could provide, yeah, thank you. We could certainly do a combination of questions and comments. Um, you know, obviously all these initiatives are, are crucial and appreciate the ongoing work. Uh, you know, particularly uh, CDA, DPW, parks. Uh, the fact that you're presenting together today, again, I think that's kind of been a common theme uh, as we've approached these budget hearings, uh, recognizing uh, the cross-departmental efforts on, on some of these key initiatives. Uh, as was mentioned, you know, obviously we uh, encourage continued working um, not only uh, intra-county, but also uh, with agencies such as TAM, uh, the utilities on pilot projects, uh, as well as community partners. Um, you've outlined some, some great initiatives uh, that I wanna highlight. Uh, the McGinnis Marsh Restoration Project, the fact that that's now in the design stage is really promising. Uh, the timber reinforced berm, uh, thank you for that uh, mention. Our, our resolve has not uh, waned at all in, in light of a, a three vote loss on that. Uh, mitigation of climate change, obviously our budget needs to continue to reflect the urgency with which that issue needs to be addressed. Uh, we do need to continue to bring our cities and towns uh, to the collaborative <clears throat> and representatives of all of our communities. I think that really was the, the underlying framework of Drawdown Marin uh, as a concept. So uh, continuing in that regard, um, as you all emphasized and as stated in our December 8, 2020 resolution, Adopting our updated cap, equity and climate change are interconnected uh, and both must be addressed at the same time to make meaningful progress on repairing ecosystems, protecting the environment and increasing community resilience. Alex, as you noted, frontline communities are often uh, least responsible for and first impacted by climate change. You said it well. Uh, so these communities must be given uh, the power to address climate change in ways consistent 
uh, with our shared values and priorities. Uh, so on Drawdown Marin, uh, uh, pleased with the work that is being done to ensure that we uh, include uh, the aforementioned communities. Um, a little more detail would be great. What will uh, the next phase of Drawdown Marin look like? Um, we know that uh, the nonprofit uh, model is in the works, which I think this board endorses. Uh, really a hub model uh, to support projects by community partners uh, to foster policy change and bridge silos. Uh, just a few other notes. I'm excited about the Department of Conservation grant to sequester carbon. Uh, uh, sequestration, as uh, Dana noted, is a crucial piece of our reaching the 2045 goal of zero emissions. Uh, I fully support a reusable foodware ordinance to address waste and plastic use uh, in our county. Uh, once again, this is an opportunity for Marin to lead and to show Marin vi visitors and residents alike how plastic reduction can be done. And just finally, as, as I think, again, the tenor we all presented, we cannot keep working in policy silos, uh, addressing sea level rise, fire, disaster preparedness, and mitigation of climate change. They are all interconnected and all must be addressed with urgency. So again, I'm glad we we're talking about these issues all at the same time uh, today and appreciate all of your good work. Other comments or questions, Supervisor Rice? Thank you, uh, Dana, Alex, and Chris. Thank you for your work and Veronica. Um, I have a, a sort of a specific question that I don't want to put anybody on the spot. Um, you talked about today a lot of things that um, between drawdown and between our own sustainability work, climate work, cap work, there's always a sense of our partners out in the surrounding county, whether they're the uh, um, agencies, uh, sanitary districts, or water and or TAM and or Caltrans, um, or local government, but is there, is there a body that convenes right now regularly that involves multi-agencies? And I'm thinking specifically mostly around um, our sea level rise adaptation. And then I'm looking at the second bullet in the work plan for public works that speaks to the next phase of Bay Wave, of, of the Bay Wave sea level rise adaptation program by evaluating capital projects under development across the county and developing criteria for road, pilot road construction. Can you talk about that? And um, to, to me, um, I, I guess what I'm getting at is we have a lot of private property that's gonna, that is gonna be threatened by civil rights. We have a lot of public infrastructure. And I, I think that uh, a lot of the work we're doing is highlighting things for both private parties and the public, but what, are we really acting on that critical public infrastructure Highway 101 in Marin City, at Lucky Drive, um, and other critical infrastructure that it does involve every organization, every uh, municipal district in the uh, county, because we all rely on that transportation infrastructure, and especially Caltrans. But I don't have a sense of us getting to things. I feel 
I feel like we're kind of getting short on time to address those major, major projects like the 101. And I want to know also, is there a body where folks are actually convening and working together or if is it just the four of you? It's definitely more than just the four of us. Um, we do meet at a staff level. We do meet um, by location probably um, and, and then across our programs. And so um, there, there are many ways that we coordinate. Um, there isn't necessarily a regular larger working group for, for both programs. Um, and then in terms of your other question, you know, it's, it's really complicated. Uh, <laughs> How, how we start to get to this work. And, and I think you saw the range of work that's that's happening um, often on county owned lands, often as demonstrations for those neighboring private properties, um, but you know, also including some of those private property areas. And so we're doing quite a range of, of projects and planning around that public infrastructure question. Um, one of the things that we're doing with some of the data that's been collected, so that map you were looking at with the emergency rooms, one of the reasons we started looking at that is we wanted to kind of get a sense of how do we start to um, work at, at multiple levels to address the, the issues around flooding of our public infrastructure. So when you see any of those segments of road flooding, it, it obviously shuts down a much wider area than just that segment itself. Um, and you know we are working with Caltrans. We continue to try and work with them on planning for some of their large infrastructure. Um, but we also need opportunities to work at different scales. So we can't just wait for all of 101 to be, to be fixed. Um, we need to be uh, looking at those opportunities. So the capital project is really that evaluation and the criteria development is really looking at um, some of these areas that are cut off, some of these areas where we have existing planned projects are there, um, are there changes, are there improvements that we could make that can also address some of that near-term and longer-term flooding when we, when we do those types of projects? And in some cases, um, I'll be honest, it, it may not be very feasible, at least not without a lot of additional funding. Um, by looking at existing capital projects, we're hoping that we have some opportunity to add a little bit of additional funding to resolve some of these problems. We have census-level data, we have transit um, ridership data, at least, a year ago, we had really good transit data um, to kind of show what, what all is impacted in these areas and how we can address some of that, even if we pick a specific road as opposed to the highway system um, and start there. And so we, we will be going into that work with the cities and towns as well as the county um, heading into this next year. Okay, I, I appreciate that. Chris, and I know it's really challenging um, bringing folks to the table when we don't also, we don't necessarily, they're huge endeavors that are going to take a lot of funding, but I, I, I'm, I'm feeling like many jurisdictions could rally around some of these really key projects, and um, I don't have a sense of, and maybe it's, I don't have a sense of, of Caltrans being as concerned as maybe it needs to be. Um, anyway, I'm just... I am, I'm, I'm feeling like it's, we haven't really rung the bell to get for the call to action. And I'm not sure what we can do to make that happen, but I appreciate everything you guys are doing. We, we do hope to get them more involved. There, there is work happening um, through TAM, looking at the highway interchanges. Yeah. And did fund two of the grants to look at highway 37, as well as highway one at 101. 
and they are partnering. Um, I think, you know, kind of getting those, those gears moving and really thinking about what we can do, especially because most of these projects are not usually solely one jurisdiction or one agency has been the really complicated thing. MTC and their Plan Bay Area update did include several um, of our interchanges um, as high priority areas, including 580 at 101 and Highway 1 at 1. And so looking at some of that momentum, I think we'll start to see the opportunities. Um, and we have a lot of the planning in place, but again, the solutions just aren't that simple. When you raise one road, you've got to raise everything else around it in order to actually prevent it from flooding. You may need to go well beyond just that infrastructure itself. So we're, we're trying to plan for all that simultaneously. Right, and I know, and, and Supervisor Arnold and Connolly are working on the 37, and I know it's not, it may be that we have phased solutions, but um, I do think there's there's a need for, for, for more of the local jurisdictions to get involved um, with the, and supporting the work that you all are doing. Thank you. Uh, Supervisor Moulton-Peters. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the presentation, all of you. It is really impressive to see what you are doing on an interdepartmental basis and, and that each of you uh, spearheads these initiatives uh, and then collaborate so well with each other to get things done. That, that is really impressive. Uh, I, I will say I was not on the board uh, last year when the discussion of how we're organized to accomplish climate change and sea level rise occurred. But I would agree with something Supervisor Rice just said. It's not clear to me we're, we're yet organized to really take this on in the most comprehensive way that we should be, including all the partners that we've just mentioned and the need for a countywide effort. So I'm gonna just bookmark that for a future conversation that that's a question that I'm thinking about. Uh, and however, in the meantime, I think it's a, it's a very good effort and we're, we are getting down to the hard work now. We've done all the planning and the assessments. Now we're into the implementation phase and um, that's a different animal. So uh, you all have my support, and my involvement and uh, we'll, we'll push through this year and make some progress. Thank you. Supervisor Arnold. Thank you, I'm having trouble with Mike. Okay, there I am. Um, I don't have a question and I just, um, I've been watching you from the very beginning and seeing what you're doing. And um, it's impressive and, um, and I'm proud of what you're doing and I keep on doing it. Yeah, very good reports. Thank you, appreciated hearing the update. I wondered if maybe Chris or Veronica could comment about the coordination and collaboration between CSMART and BayWave, what's mm. happening there. And, and then secondly, I noticed that some of the roadway issues, especially on Highway 1, and they may not be very specific, but they seem to not incorporate many other areas that actually are flooded now when we have a storm event and high tide. Um, so from my perspective, it's really the whole, the highway one corridor that 
that we're looking at. There may be some places that won't be impacted, but most of it would be north of Stinson Beach. Um, so I wondered if you comment on that too. And Veronica, thank you for the Blindness Y project. Don't know if you wanna comment a little more about that because that is an exciting project, but it's, it's a very small piece of a big puzzle. And I think that um, even that project, while Caltrans has been cooperative, they're not doing anything or much of anything related to their roadway issues. So I thought you could comment on that maybe. Um, yeah, it's, it, you know, we have gotten, as I said, a lot of community support for the Bolinas Y project, and we've been very fortunate in that. And with um, your support, as well as Mark Levine's, we've actually gotten more engagement with Caltrans um, than we did in the beginning when we were starting the larger Bolinas North End visioning work. And um, so um, I do see that they're making efforts to review our project. And um, I hope that they're not only looking at it from a design standpoint in conformance with their standards, but um, I know that in other conversations with Caltrans headquarters that there is a lot of support for our project as well as the larger work that could happen um, outside of our lands um, on adjacent National Park Service lands. Um, so um, I'm hoping that communication from headquarters and District 4 is going to um, move Caltrans to look at ways to not only um, have their, their maintenance projects, but um, as well as their future projects on State Route 1 be able to uh, mesh with our Bolinas Y in North, North End Vision. Um, <laughs> uh, hopefully that they'll, their shop program will um, add that stretch of Stinson to Bolinas within their prior project plans for the next 10 years. Um, but it is, takes constant, you know, engagement with them and um, we're gonna have to probably keep on that as well. Um, but I do know from talking with their staff that they're very well aware of the issues um, that are in the near future uh, between Stinson and Bolinas and um, hopefully long-term viable solutions will come out of their examination of that stretch of highway. Um, but I'll leave it, leave it to Chris to talk about the C-Smart Bay Wave uh, question that you brought up. Just wanted to add a little bit more to um, the Caltrans piece, which is that they they have also come to us and wanted to partner on national grants, and so they've they've tried, and they've, they're certainly still trying. <laughs> I think there's there's always room for improvement, but probably much like us, um, they have a huge a huge workload and probably not nearly as much staff and nearly as many staff as they need to to get all this done um, at, at all the places, and so. Um, they, they do continue to work with us and try and advocate for uh, projects on their roadways as well. Um, in terms of the coordination between staff on BayWave and CSMART, there's quite a bit of regular communication. Um, we, we meet monthly on, actually all of us do, um, at a staff level around coordination, uh, just so that we're aware of what we're all doing um, and so that we can coordinate when necessary um, we also uh, 
I regularly attend the, the advanced planning staff meetings, which are weekly. So there's quite a bit. We're, we're trying to learn from each other. We see a lot of our work being replicated. We are utilizing our existing knowledge, our, our practices. We share some staff. And so there's quite a bit there. Um, but I will say that, that this presentation is just a, a little snippet of kind of that larger effort. Um, that's happening. It's, it's been happening quite consistently throughout the program. And again, not just with the two sea level rise programs for the coast and bay, but with parks, with sustainability, and with many of the cities and towns um, and agencies as well. And so I would just point out to, um, to this board that, that one other uh, regional collaborative, the North Bay Watershed Association, has really been focused on water issues across the four North Bay counties. And one of those areas continues to be, how do we start to plan for things like this? How do we plan for things that affect all of the North Bay around our water, um, you know, common water resources. And so we've really been working not only um, with those local water uh, agencies, we're all members of NBWA, but also um, wastewater with, you know, creeks and watershed groups um, around a lot of these different initiatives. Thank you. And just wondering if uh, either one of your groups thought about putting sort of the back of the envelope budget together for like the next 10 years, realizing that some of the things is out of, are out of your control. Some are related to more cities, some are related to Caltrans, some re be related to private property owners, but it'd be interesting just to get the scale and scope of what we're talking about over the next 10 years. So I don't know if you've thought about that. I know, I know it wouldn't be what the county's responsible for, but it would give us an inkling of what the magnitude of this program looks like over the next, uh, say, 10 years, and both programs, actually. Um, and, and I don't know if you've thought about that at all or anyone's done that sort of approach. I think we've done some rough calculations at different times, both the sustainability team as well as the sea level rise adaptation teams. It's a lot of, a lot of commas and zeros. Um, <laughs> that uh, it's, it's quite the endeavor to figure out exactly what we're planning for um, at any given time. And so I think those numbers are always almost immediately out of date anytime we, we put the effort into trying to figure that out. Okay, thank you. So I'm gonna go to public comment now, Al. President Rodoni, um, we have Eva. Eva, please unmute. Thanks so much. I appreciated this presentation and I appreciate all the planning that's going into this. I wanna to speak to you um, from the perspective, I always have my eye on an earlier version of Marin County, um, a humbler Marin County, uh, one which had far less influence in the state, uh, but where people lived closer to their means. Um, the poor of Marin County are Sorry. Hello? Go ahead, yeah, go. Eva. We lost you for a minute. Okay. Um, I just want to point out that the issue of climate change, I'm glad you're addressing it, but um, it, it should be said that the poor have contributed the least to this issue and they still receive no credit for living very close to their means and, and producing the least carbon emissions uh, per person. Um, and I think it's important to note that and to think about um, how we can celebrate um, their Spartan existence 
um, compared to the kind of voluptuous lifestyles that the wealthy lead. And I would say one thing the county could do is ask people to be more conscious of, of, their, um, of their consumption. Uh, we see regularly uh, wealthy people in Marin County, very powerful people in Marin County jet um, from California to Hawaii for the weekend, um, first class to their second homes and then come back. Um, and then they wanna be rewarded because they drive a Tesla. Well, it's absurd. So I hope we can, we can look at our own responsibility in terms of climate change and maybe provide some, maybe provide some benefits to people um, who, don't, um, who don't emit so much carbon. I mean, maybe there can be some sort of reward for the poor for once. It's just an idea. Thank you for your time. President Rodoni, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you, Al. So thank you all for the presentation. This concludes our Tuesday afternoon session and we'll adjourn to Wednesday, March 24th at 1 p.m. for the wrap up. So thanks again and we'll see you all tomorrow afternoon.